1: Walker Show, Sports Radio 927, WFNZ. Keep the text coming. The text line is lit right now, 704 570 9610. Hit those socials at Wes Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter and Instagram, at Walker Mail, at HTB underscore Josh on Twitter and Instagram. Most importantly, at Wesson Walker on Twitter and the WFNZ pages on Twitter and Instagram. What are you?
2: you're at Shroppy wfnz yes is that right and yes. at
1: Shroppy wfnz yes i forgot about that. love I the nickname about fitty being back there
2: i need to look back there a couple more times okay time he's very different he's the right hair is a him. lot different <laughs> i think that's the biggest distinguishing factor
1: all right so now folks without further ado it is time to go to the campus count well folks Been asking for it all year. It's been one of the biggest sagas of the college football season, especially in the ACC. But Carolina fans rejoice. Devontae's Tez Walker had to say the full name there is granted immediate eligibility for the remainder of the 2023 season. And UNC head coach Mack Brown said that he was thrilled to find out earlier today that Tez has been granted his immediate eligibility and will be available Talked about how happy that he was for him, that they never gave up. They want to thank the NCAA after going off on him for weeks like he year for being <laughs> yeah. willing to re-examine Tez's case and ultimately deciding to grant him his eligibility. Tez Walker also put out a statement as well saying that he's so excited and thankful that the NCAA has granted my eligibility to play this season. This hasn't been easy, but I'm looking forward to put, putting this in the past. And moving forward, and talked about how he always knew UNC was a special place, and ended his statement with see everyone on Saturday. So, this man comes in, brings his 6'2, over 200 pound size, had over 900 yards in the MAC. So, he is going to be ready to go. And I'm sure nobody's happier to see this man out there on the field than Drake.
2: Well, what's hilarious about this is I'm trying to go over the statements because this news just came in. It looks like 1247, 1245, something like that. We're starting to get these statements. And so the NCAA claims that they received new information regarding Tez Walker this week. Staff determined the new information qualifies walker for a transfer waiver the information had not been made available by unc previously despite the school's multiple chances to do so So the NCAA has this statement real quickly. It's unfortunate that UNC failed to provide this important information previously. While we must be careful not to compromise a student-athlete's right to privacy when it comes to sensitive issues, we want to assure the Division I membership and everyone watching how the new transfer rules are applied, that this meets the new transfer waiver standards. UNC's behavior and decision to wage a public relations campaign is inappropriate. And outside the bounds of the process, UNC's own staff supported had the unc staff not behaved in this fashion and submitted this information weeks ago this entire unfortunate episode could have been avoided the beef is still strong they're blowing smoke dude they just got bullied enough to where they feel like they had to reinstate them between north carolina and ncaa the beef is still strong yeah once. that
1: was my thing too i'm sitting there like what changed now like this should have happened already i don't understand why they would go back now, like, what new information did you learn? What, that Carolina wasn't lying, that Ted Walker <laughs> wasn't lying about his situation? I just never got it that the first school that he went to, North Carolina Central, never played a game. And so, therefore, he should have been just considered a one-time transfer. I, It, it, just, it just blows my mind. Like I said, people that get paid to be in higher-up type of situations all the time just do some of the dumbest things.
2: Yeah, I i keep seeing new information this is what's happening. it it feels like they're trying to sell that a little too hard for me Mm -hmm. hey we got new information now now we're changing now we're changing it's actually north carolina's fault yeah and brian said sounds like gaslighting. it does this sounds like (laughs) the definition yes it sounds like quintessential (laughs) oh well if they just would have given us this information all along Look, I don't know what it is. I haven't seen it on Twitter. It's only happened within the last, like, 20 minutes or so that this news came out. So hopefully we are able to find out what this quote-unquote new information is. But I can't wait. I can't wait to see what it was that allowed the NCAA now to finally deem Tez Walker eligible to play.
1: And then how many plays do you think it's going to take for Carolina to try him on a deep ball? I'm going to give it uh, over to three to four plays. I think that they're definitely going to come out and try to establish him Early in the game.
2: Going under than three and a half on that one. I I can't wait to see how they're going to use him. Well, and, and even Field Yates, not exactly the person I expected to be tweeting about this, more so an NFL guy, but he said this is great news for Tez Walker and has the tools to be a pro as well. And so if you have the tools, you have the athleticism, maybe this is the downfield threat. Here's the thing when we've seen Drake May start to air it out the last couple of games, he's been throwing downfield. I think this is a pretty big deal for North Carolina's well, this offense. This was their
1: number one receiver it coming into
2: the season. But but also it goes to show you just how explosive they can be because they've already been explosive the last two games. When the running game wasn't working, that's when Drake May starts to throw for over four hundred yards. That's when we see Drake May to get to three hundred. He was like ninth in the ACC in total passing yards after the first two games. Now he's fourth in total passing yards after this. You know after what we've seen so far. So with Drake May having Tez Walker back as the guy we all expected to be the number one receiver, now it's like, okay, if we're not running the football as effectively as we were the first two, we're able to throw for four hundred and three hundred. Now we bring back Tez Walker. Yeah, I actually think this is a pretty – not that it's a hot take, but even with North Carolina looking good offensively, this is a big deal for them.
1: Yeah, I think so, 100%. And so now – Congrats to him, and we'll see what he does because Carolina has a tough opponent coming up in Syracuse. They're definitely going to need what he brings to the table. Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., Notre Dame will bring their 30-game win streak against the ACC and put it all on the line against the Cardinals. Louisville is 5-0 for the first time since 2013. The 3-0 conference record is the best since 2012. And Jeff Brom is getting the job done out there. They bring a seven-game home winning streak into Saturday's game versus Notre Dame. Of course, Notre Dame beat Duke uh, last Saturday. And the two quarterbacks we talked about, Jack Plummer earlier, and Sam Hartman of Notre Dame have combined to throw 25 touchdown passes and over 2,800 yards. So do you think that Louisville has a chance to be the first team to knock off notre dame and what will be their 31st try
2: i don't think so i I think notre dame is going to be able to take care of business despite me really liking what i'm seeing from louisville i just think with notre dame the way that they play defense it can really shut down some really impressive skill players right like even against duke where yeah duke had their opportunities and it was a mike elko decision to only rush three that allowed sam hartman to pick up those yards but man even with Notre Dame, they, they dropped a close one and they won a close one between Ohio State and Duke. I think Notre Dame with what Marcus Freeman is doing defensively, I, I do trust Sam. I don't know if this is a, a big game. For Notre Dame, like the kind of big game that Sam Hartman is going to choke on, right? Like, I know that's something that people are worried about with him, especially U.S. I think Notre Dame is able to win this one, yeah, somewhat comfortably. I I don't think that Louisville is going to pose a monster threat.
1: I do. I, I will be on the contrary. I have to think about it more before I decide to make my pick. But this Louisville team currently fourth uh, in the ACC in scoring and fourth in scoring defense. Uh, Jack Plummer, as I said, he's been one of the nation's best quarterbacks that nobody's talking about. You talk about Jamari Jamari Thrash, and Jawar Jordan and those guys, and I think Louisville has what it takes, and I think this is going to be a really, really good game. I think Duke definitely, um, they showed you that the Irish can be had, just like Ohio State came in and, and won that game in close, heartbreaking fashion, but Uh, I think this is going to be one of the great games of the weekend, and I think people uh, definitely will need to pay attention to what could happen here, because I certainly think Louisville has the talent. It's just going to come down to coaching, Braum, and uh, things of that nature, but I think Louisville definitely has more than a punch of chance to be able to get this victory. And so now when we look at NC State, and you look at them this weekend, they've got to take on Marshall, and we talked about how Uh, Marshall's undefeated They're 4-0 coming in to play NC State And so NC State has never lost to Marshall They're 5-0 against them But they are one of 22 Remaining undefeated teams in FBS And they also Beat Virginia Tech at home 24-17 two weeks ago And M.J. Morris is slated to start the third start of his career. And last year he was the first freshman quarterback since Phillip Rivers to start a game for the pack. And when you look at this young man, he certainly showed uh, talent. He came off the bench last season against Virginia Tech through three touchdowns and also through three touchdowns against Wake Forest and was the ACC Rookie of the Week for those performances. So uh, do you think that M.J. is going to be able to – Wake up this offense, or you think it's going to be more of the same?
2: Well, wake up sounds a little too strong, but I think, M.J. Morris, it's about time you move on from Brennan Armstrong. So we got to see those games that he played last year. They did win against Wake Forest, who was 21 at the time. They did win against Wake Forest, 30-21. to 21. Not monster numbers from M.J. Morris. 210 passing yards, 250 total with the 43 rushing that he was able to bring out there. 19 carries for him, too, is what he's credited with. I wonder what the rushing style is going to be with MJ. Like, does Robert and I continue to look to run the quarterback as much as he did with Brendan Armstrong? But this is the move you kind I think you had to make it. When the offenses looked that poor, you had a month, you had a little bit more than a month going into the college football season, and it just didn't work out. Brendan Armstrong, after having that excellent season a couple of years ago, I think MJ Morris, it's the right time. I think they'll be better. I don't know if this is going to be what we saw from previous NC State offenses that you felt really good about with some of the other QBs in place.
1: I think he's going to come in and play better. I don't know that he changes life for this offense. It's 11th in scoring offense, but they're dead last in the ACC in pass efficiency. This is a passing attack that is pretty much anemic. We talked about how the freshmen have been uh, – the leading receivers for this crew. So they're still looking for playmakers on the outside. I think MJ Morris does bring a, a nice element to it. Now, I know they definitely had to make this move because if they left Armstrong in and they continue to play the way that they've been playing, that uh, MJ Morris might have thought about making a move during the season. So I know that's also at play here. This pass offense, when you talk about yardage per game, 194.2 yards per game they're passing for. So that is not what you're looking for but as I said I think the offense may have a little bit more of a chance but I'm just not sure right now that the, the skill talent is there in Raleigh for them to be able to do it and quickly before we get out of here nowhere are up against the break but uh, looking at Duke they are also starting a new quarterback this week and when you look at Henry Beelan the fourth, very Duke-sounding name for this young man. Aaron Shropshire <laughs> and Henry Beelin <laughs> the fourth. Uh, six-three, two hundred ten pounds, out of Brooklyn, baby. You know what I'm saying? So
2: that's a very big change in demeanor and what we we're. Uh,
1: Aaron Shrop, out of Brooklyn, yo, yo, out very of different. Brooklyn. All right. Um, in 2023, he's played a couple of games, eight of eight, so he's perfect on the season. So. Uh, I guess whichever way you want to look at it, he could go only up or down. But right now, (laughs) 8 of 8 on the year, 118 passing yards, three total touchdowns. And he was a three-star prospect when he was coming out of high school. Uh, Very athletic. Saw him at the spring game. I think Duke will be in decent hands with the way that they play because we talked about how they love to run the football first and foremost. But it's going to be when it comes to those obvious passing downs to see whether uh, the young quarterback is going to be able to make his bones and keep Duke afloat for hopefully Riley Leonard's return from his high ankle sprain.
2: They relied on the running game quite a bit this year, and I think that is a successful game plan to implement a different quarterback. You're not asking him to do a ton, in my opinion. When they got back in this game against Notre Dame this past weekend, we got to see them, um, or whenever they played last, but you're talking about Duke with this rushing attack, that was the thing that got them going again. It wasn't necessarily Riley Leonard throwing for a whole bunch of yardage, right? It was 134 yards, less than 50% completion percentage. It was the fact that they were able to really have a nice ground attack. And so that's why I think... Bielen coming in here, it's not necessarily you're asking him to go over and, and, and take over for Drake May. You're you're asking him to take over for Riley Leonard, who wasn't putting up a ton of passing yards anyway.
1: Yeah, there's Duke rushing offense, second in the ACC in rushing yards per game and leading the ACC in rushing touchdowns with 16. So we'll see what he does. So some teams starting some new faces at quarterback, and, hey, that's why they play the game. So when we come back on the Weston Walker Show – could this Panthers draft class end up being Bryce Young and nobody else? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the crispy, Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing.
2: And Walker back at it. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Good news for the Walkers out there. I don't know what good news I have. I'm just back on the air once again. I don't know if that's (laughs) great news for anybody listening, but we do have good news news for Tez Walker, though, eligible to play. I know some people are maybe just tuning in in case you missed it. Tez Walker, wide receiver for North Carolina, held out for the first four weeks by the NCAA Big hullabaloo, if you will, between the two parties, North Carolina and NCAA. Uh, uh, It was on my toilet paper word of the day earlier, so Mm. that's why I used it. Tez Walker now eligible to play. Wide receiver for North Carolina. Could suit up. This weekend. Um, so big time news for North Carolina. I know people are writing that in. We have addressed it. You can listen to that segment on WFNZ.com. We'll probably talk about it again a little bit later on. But yes, Tez Walker eligible to play ruled by the NCAA. They said that after receiving quote unquote new information, which call me skeptical. It feels like they wanted to make North Carolina an example. And even in the statement that allows Tez Walker to be eligible. It seemed like they were trying to make a statement um, or they were still having beef with North Carolina. So, NCAA, man, even when they make the right decision, I still can't leave feeling good about them. Still can't do it. It's just hard for them to They've do They've
1: done that. too much, too many annoying things, too much stuff that doesn't make sense.
2: I do feel good about a lot of these Star Wars comparisons, though. Let's go back to the text line on this 704 570 9610. We were trying to figure out what Star Wars characters you could compare to some of the figures in the Panthers organization. 336 said Dom capers as Yoda makes me giggle. I don't know if I see it, but it makes me giggle too. It's not a wrong statement. Homesick Panther. He said JC Horn is Darth Maul, huge potential, but catastrophic injury to his lower half keeps him down. I like that. That's pretty good. Scary when he's on the field, man. But just not on the field because of the lower half injuries. I like it. Nine eight oh, Miles Sanders is job of the hut because he extorted the Panthers for money. <laughs> Dang. That's, that's called being creative with a job of the, the hut comparison. That
1: it is. They dug deep for that
2: one. <laughs> we were all going with physical appearance and then staying away, so we wouldn't insult anyone. That's a good one. Three three six. Hey, without Jar Jar Binks, there would be no they wouldn't have made it to Naboo. So without Matt Rule, we wouldn't have made it to Bryce Young. That's why Matt Rule is Jar Jar Banks. Okay. I like what everybody is it. doing here. And then we got a joke from the meathead. <laughs> Wes, why didn't Han Solo like his steak?
1: I don't know. Not enough time on here to <clears throat> dead air.
2: Because it was chewy.
1: I, I could have sat here all day and would have never guessed.
2: It. I like how we had dead air for everybody to wait for the punchline. 704 570 Again, 704 570 Feel free to give us your Star Wars Carolina Panthers comparison. Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, let's continue to talk about some of the disappointing stuff, but also we were talking defensively, Wes, and how we actually like a lot of what we're seeing defensively. Atero, Avero, think he's doing a very good job. We have some sound to get to there as well with Avero. Maybe the running game or the lack of being able to stop the run has been a little disappointing. Avero mm-hmm. did talk about how they need to get better stopping the run. It has been an issue so far. Here's what the coordinator had to say. We need to play better. We need to play better. Um,
1: You know, I think some of that could be schematic of things that I can do better. um, And then we just got to play to run better. And so um, that's the challenge. And uh, it's going to be very evident this week.
2: All right. So that was really enlightening. I asked, (laughs) how are they going to play better? And he said, we need to play better. So uh, I think they have it all figured out as to (laughs) why they're going to be able to do that. I think this is something we were a little worried about. Odd Man Front, Derek Brown transitioning, Deshaun Williams, Shai Tuttle, those guys going to be big enough in order to stop the run. So it, they've not been great against it. We're also not looking at this defense and saying it's been atrocious because of their inability to stop mm-hmm. the run. But are there ways they can get better from you watching the Panthers, Wes? Is it a, is it a point of Derek Brown eating up more defenders? Same thing with Deshaun or, or even a shy Tuttle who's out there, as we mentioned. Is it the linebackers making better plays? Shaq Thompson not being there. What are some of the answers you're looking for?
1: Uh, Man, it, it's... So we're getting enough of a sample size to get a feel for what this defense is, man. But it comes down to basically fundamentals. It's not like, you know, you can go tell a guy, hey, you need to be able to take up more blockers or do this or do that. It's just guys playing their assignments to the best of their ability, and then their natural ability will take over. And so not everybody that they have on this defense is a difference maker. Uh, You really probably, unless you are a diehard Panthers fan, you can't name – uh, many Panthers outside of some of the, you know, the big ticket guys, the Burns's, the Browns and things of that nature. And so you look at the rest of this crew and then a three, four defensive line, you're really not supposed to know a lot of these guys names. Yeah. I mean, they're going to be there to take up blockers so that the linebackers can be the star of the show for the most part. And so when you look at shot, Tuttle on Deshaun Williams, they'll pop up every now and again, but it's not like these are guys that offenses are coming in and fearing what they're going to bring to the table uh kgh has come in he's a good coverage linebacker but he's not going to decimate anybody's running game or just really be a real menace behind the line of scrimmage secondaries had so many injuries it's hard to know what you're going to get there so uh i think it just when you have a defense with guys where you know where your weaknesses are all guys can do is just play assignment sound football and it sounds boring That's really all you can ask for everybody to do is just try to play the hell out of their assignment and let the chips fall where they may.
2: Well, and if you look at some of these other players that we wanted to highlight, let's go to the secondary. We can even possibly talk about their ability to stop the run. How about Jeremy Chin? Jeremy Chin, if you look at, Pro football focus, he's grading out as the 32nd best safety out of 87 measured. So top half, not phenomenal, but we saw him make a play in the backfield against the Minnesota Vikings. And
1: clearly his best game against uh, the Vikings.
2: Yeah, so close to the line of scrimmage. See so him making plays there. That's been the narrative surrounding Jeremy Chin's you know, early career so far. Do you think more good things are to come? For the guy that finished second in the defensive rookie of the year voting when he was a first year player.
1: Well, I think too, what you had to be encouraged about about that was his coverage grade was an eighty six point four against the Vikings, and I think that's something that you have to be excited about when you look at this uh, young man and what he's done, and then when you look at the totality for the season. I mean, he's playing pretty decent football. I mean, he's got a seventy grade, he's got a seventy point eight coverage grade, and. Some of those are some of his better marks from what he's had. You looked at the blitzes they had and with the injuries uh, that have occurred in the secondary. So he's going to be a guy that's going to get a lot of burn. And so I do think that this could be the start. I'm not saying he's going to come out and turn into a Hall of Fame all of a sudden. But this could be a guy that could end up flashing more times than not. When you look at the reps that he's going to get with the injuries that are in that secondary, they're going to need him to be a playmaker. And so I think Everett, we showed he showed some of the ways that he can be used on Sunday when he got that big sack, came through perfectly timed blitz and was able to get right back there and make a play. So uh I think that definitely he could be a guy that this defense could look to and could make some plays. Wes,
2: I think the more snaps Chin is in coverage, the worse he'll play. I, I think if you give him 15, 20 or less – then he'll play better because I, th- I think it's just the more you add up to it, that's where he struggled really throughout his entire career. In my opinion, we we like him being physical at the line of scrimmage. He had 30 coverage snaps against Seattle by far as worst grade, but you're talking about 17, 13 and 10 in the other games. And he played a lot better in coverage. So the more you accumulate his snaps away from the line of scrimmage, as we've talked about a lot, like the eye test is bearing out when you look at traditional stats, when you look at the advanced stats, I I think Jeremy chin, even if you don't expect him to be among the better safeties in the league, like we thought there was a chance for him to be after his rookie season. Still a pretty useful football player. And who knows if that means that he's going to be a long-term Panther based on what kind of deal he's seeking, whatever, right? But I still think he's a useful football player for this Panthers team. And I think we did see him give you some nice plays against the Minnesota Vikings, whether it be rushing the passer, sending him on a blitz, being able to tackle in open space, you know, the run defense hasn't been phenomenal for him, but also I think he is a guy that isn't afraid to be physical. At least that's one of the things you'd like about a Jeremy chin. So hopefully he can continue that. And then Sam Franklin, right? If we feel good about the safety depth, one thing we talked about that is this off season, one of the deeper positions that this Panther team has Franklin right out of the gate, even if he was the one that allowed the Minnesota Vikings to get into the red zone because of the pass interference call against him made up for it. Just playing disciplined football. Kirk cousins helped him out by staring KJ Osborne down, but made a good play on it and scored a touchdown.
1: He, he did yep. exactly what you wanted them to do. And that's all you can ask
2: for I, fans really like him. And I think for good reason, a, a guy that, Oh, Xavier Woods is a really good football player but Sam Franklin is too and when he gets his time to shine he certainly takes advantage of it. Yeah
1: and this is the guy that you root for I mean he's an underdog so this is a guy one of those guys on the roster that you're going to root for when he comes in to play because you want to see him do well he brings great energy he brings juice out there and so uh still a relatively young player he's been in the league this is his fourth season here, so uh, not to say that you see guys that just break out and become studs all of a sudden, but you have to like the play that was made there. Uh, You have to like, like I said, everything that he brings to the field from a juice perspective, and the NFL is all about guys taking advantage of opportunities when they arise. How many players have we seen become studs because they finally got the reps? They finally got to get into game action, and this could be a guy that could be a candidate For a breakout season.
2: Um, We had the question earlier. Has there been a significant disappointment defensively? And I don't know if we could come up with some, oh, my God, it's been so horrible. Like the offensive line has been such a disappointment, right? Mm -hmm. The offense as a whole. Wide receiver, if you were a believer in them, it's really only Adam Thielen that's playing even average or even above that with what we've seen through the first four games. Defensively, I think I might have found one. DJ Johnson having a non-existent role might be a guy. Especially with Scott Fitterer telling you, we think he can help us right now, even if he doesn't get after the passer, he could go out there and set the edge. So the Panthers focused more so offensively, five draft picks this past selection process, three offensive players with Bryce Young, Jonathan Mingo, Chandler Zavala, two defensively, DJ Johnson, Jamie Robinson. The defensive guys aren't getting out there. More talent on that side of the ball? Understandable. But, man, it felt like DJ Johnson had a shot to get out there and did not take advantage of it whatsoever. Wes, Bryce Young, even, people are out on. You and I are not. I think level-headed people are not calling Bryce Young a flat-out bust after three starts in his rookie season. But what is the potential of this draft class being a bust everywhere else outside of Bryce Young as the number one overall pick?
1: Well, uh, things aren't looking fantastic right now, but that comes down to your player development. But when you look at this class, I mean, Bryce Young obviously is the crown jewel and he's the guy that uh, you're going to look at for your future. He's your franchise quarterback, but Chandler Zavala, I've already said it, I don't like to jump the gun too much on rookies, but he is, I think
2: they missed on him. So you have to just call it what it is. Uh, (laughs) No, like it's I'm with you. I, I hate writing somebody's career after a few games, and and maybe it's still a little too early, but if there's ever a player to do that, yeah. then it might be somebody that gets off to this so kind at least of start. hit
1: the panic button, no, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. And then you talked about D.J. Johnson been nowhere to be found. Jamie Robinson has two tackles on the season, haven't seen much from him. So, yeah, this is a class. I mean, you already know the margin for error when you have a full allotment of draft picks, whether you have seven or what. We've seen... Well over half of your class is gonna miss. That's just the way the law of averages in the NFL. So when you think you only get five draft choices, that cuts your margin of error down that much more.
2: Um, we did have a text coming in from seven oh four. I think DJ Johnson not getting out there has more to do with YGM actually playing better this year. Could be. Which is Could a be. it's a good point. I think yeah. A little bit of a saving grace for DJ Johnson not getting out there because at least it allows somebody that was close to a first-round pick in YGM starting to realize his ability, playing better with a different defensive coordinator, which is very odd, by the way, because we thought YGM was going to be the odd man out. We thought he was going to be the one that struggled the most with this odd man front despite Averro bringing multiple defense. And he's the one that stepped up. I mean, even, I mean, even in this offseason, we didn't hear much noise from YGM. Yeah. Everything pointed towards him being a complete bust, not going to be helping this football team. But that's not been true. I think that's a good point from 704.
1: Yeah, and I think, though, too, if DJ was out there, you know, just smashing folks like that and just being a, a dominant force or looking like a guy that – basically, I'm saying if he was forcing his way on the field, I think we would see him. Uh, I think even with YGM doing what he's doing, I think that – uh Ejero would cook up some packages to get him on the field. So I think it's a little bit of a mix, probably some guys emerging. And then him being, even if he's playing decent, him still not being quite what they want. Because I think if you got a guy defensively, especially we read off the numbers and he's not – um You know, We we looked at the numbers, and so if this defense was among the top ten in the league, okay, but this is still a defense that is still struggling in some areas, and I think if he could help, they'd get him out there to help.
2: Uh, D.J. Johnson did play in this game, by the way, against Minnesota, did have six total snap counts, three against the run, three against the pass, and did have an assisted tackle, but still a very small sample size. I think in the spirit of the conversation, DJ fits the bill. What we were discussing, Um, Jamie Robinson, also not getting out there was always going to be a lot harder for him, especially when we liked the safety depth. So could be a situation where Jamie learns once a time, once it's time to pay everybody, you pick and choose who you want in the back end. And Jamie could be a depth piece there. So would be interesting. Yeah, it's still early for me to say it's yeah, of course it's early. To say that everybody else is a bust outside of Bryce, Jonathan Mingo going through concussion protocol, always felt like a little tiny bit of a project. And Mingo
1: as well. I, I forgot to add him in with the class.
2: Yeah, Mingo, a little bit of a project. I, I think we knew that. I think when we talked about him being involved in today's offense in year one, it was all about manufacturing some snaps for him. You know, giving it to him on handoffs, maybe some kind of hybrid LaVisca role where you send him on crossers and just allow the Yak to do the work for him. They've thrown some slants to him. For me, the the reason that I, I'm not crazy disappointed with Mingo, I feel like a lot of his mistakes are very, I'm a young receiver trying to figure it out in the NFL type of stuff, and it's not necessarily ability to me. I, the drops are concerning, but also... We saw it with Jamar Chase when he was in the preseason, right? Like, drops are not a great indicator. Advanced stats have always pointed to drops not being a great indicator of if you'll be able to figure it out. Running at the wrong depth, I think that's just chemistry with Bryce Young. Mingo, I'm a lot more hopeful in than a Zavala, you know, who has just looked flat out terrible out there.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Mingo, though, the only thing, again, we talk about messaging. And what was the messaging that we were getting about Mingo was that he was going to be the guy that was going to have a big role in this Panthers offense and how he was a gym rat and how he was already, you know, kind of ahead of the curve and ready to contribute to this Panthers offense immediately. And we've seen none of that. And even at times when he has gotten the ball, you haven't really seen anything spectacular. You look at receivers from this draft, some of his contemporaries too, they're already out doing that thing, which is to be expected. There's so many receivers drafted, but Mingo's another guy that you definitely want to give them some time, but you are a little worried, especially after the messaging that we got.
2: Well, and I gave like I jumped the gun a little bit on Mingo. It was it was admittedly a bold take saying Mingo could emerge as a you know hybrid wide receiver number one or competing for that. But it hasn't happened. No doubt and we'll see what he can do after he exits concussion protocol which is what i think we got this week we got that update from the rookie wide receiver real quickly let's drop it like it's hot before we go to break what you got for us all right we got some drama here in the college football world as former northwestern football coach pat fitzgerald is suing the school for 130 million dollars saying his alma mater wrongfully fired him in the wake of hazing and abuse scandal yeah i don't think he's gonna be able to get out (laughs) yeah no i don't think so either it always to me it always comes down to the failure to monitor when everything is going on in your program to the point where you had this type of um where you had the this type of harassment going on or this type of behavior going on within the locker room and pat fitzgerald was at the helm and you don't do anything to stop it, whether you know about it or not, it's always going to climb to the top, and Pat Fitzgerald is the guy that gets fired for it. I don't expect him, I don't know what's going to come from this lawsuit that he has, but I don't expect him to be back as the head coach of Northwestern. Yeah, I don't think so either.
1: To me, it's too much in the favor of the players and the, the testimony and things like that. And if anything, like I said, you lacked control of your program. So if anything, you should be fired for that. If this has been happening for years and years and you knew nothing about it, then you should be fired on the street trying to find somewhere to coach anyway because that's ridiculous that stuff like that was going on in your program. And I've been in the camp of I believe there's no way in hell that he had no clue, was never notified at all, As to what was going on.
2: All right, from shropping it like it's hot to fire or fizzle. It's coming up next. We're going Hornets uniforms in the past. We got the double pinstripes reveal. The classic throwback. It's at the Hornets team store right now. So double pinstripes. Can we get the NASCARs jersey to be fire? Find out. Coming up next, Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Fire or Fizzle, a staple on Wes and Walker. I'm trying my best not to blow my voice out, but I have to at least try to bring the volume from Fire <laughs> or Fizzle. We're doing Hornets Uni combos today, and we're going to start off just like I teased it. The NASCats jersey, Wes. The NASCats jersey, different variants from 2007 to 2011. Racing day, Fire or Fizzle, Wes, you tell me.
1: Well, when you look at these uniforms, and we're doing this in honor of the new classic edition uniforms that were just released for the Charlotte Hornets, but when you look back at the Charlotte Bobcats back in the 2007-2008 season, in conjunction with NASCAR, the Bobcats hosted a NASCAR night. Part of the promotion involved a newly designed jersey that had a checkered flag pattern going down the sides of the jersey. And when you look at it, the pinstripes were there. And I'm looking at DJ Augustine shooting a jumper in said uniform. And just in the history, (laughs) the color palette that you had available to you, the orange and the white, the blue, that's cool. It's hard to mess that up. But then those checkerboard designs going down the sides of the jerseys and the pants. I mean, come on, man. What are we talking about here? You know what's coming. I know what's coming. Those NASCAR-themed Bobcats jerseys are straight fizzle. What in the Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going on here? What in the Dale Earnhardt Sr.? What in the Kale Yarbrough? What in the Richard Petty is going on here? Oh,
2: yes. It's a brilliant... It's a brilliant fizzle. Yeah, Logo 704, super fizzle, (laughs) but poor NASCAR Brad. He said this one, all caps, better be FIRE. I'm sorry. There was just no way that was going to be FIRE. We move on. Wes, how about the alternate purple pinstripe jerseys in 1994? Well, come on, man.
1: Listen, multicolored pinstripes, they were unique, gave the jersey a look all to itself. And as the franchise leaned heavily into NBA fashion trends of the 90s with this look, it debuted in 1994. The Charlotte wordmark across the chest, the lettering beneath it stood out, the teal outline, the white of the collar and the cuff ties. They looked great together. And then you get Hugo the Hornet on the waistband, on the short, okay? And I'm looking at my man LJ. For one, the fire LJs that he has on. The shorts did not have pinstripes. But when you looked at these uniforms from 1994, you think about the players that were in them, but also just the unis themselves. You still see it today in the mall going for 180, 200. People still rocking them. Classic jerseys. You know what it is. These uniforms are straight. Fire! Word to LJ in the part in the middle of his head!
2: I believe and love these jerseys, man. The purple is so Come cool. on! I love it. Next one up. Mint Buzz City City Edition jerseys that were revealed in the 2020-2021 season. Now, this had all of NBA Twitter on fire, yes. but it's not NBA Twitter's fire or fizzle. It's Wes Bryant's (laughs) Fire Fizzle. So you are the one that has the ability to give the stamp of approval. Tell us, Wes, Fire Fizzle.
1: Well, the whole mint thing, as I'm sure many of you will know, but some of you may not know, Charlotte is the home of the first U.S. branch mint, as well as the region's history from the Carolina Gold Rush in the early 19th century, inspired these jerseys. The granite color for the numbers, letters, and pinstripes pay homage to to granite being the state rock of North Carolina. Look at that. The pinstripes are designed with ridges like those on a coin while the C found on the waistband is meant to reflect those found on coins from the Charlotte Met. The history of Charlotte given to you in a basketball uniform. When you talk about these Charlotte Hornets Buzz City edition jerseys, they are straight I no never way. liked them. I never liked them. What? I never liked them. No way! <laughs> I oh, never man. liked those. My son has
2: one, but I never liked those. I thought those were bonkers. I mean, what about the black Mint City edition jerseys? They, they were
1: had? They were a little better. Yeah,
2: they, they were a little better. But the
1: Mint, see, I'm not a huge Mint
2: color thing. Yeah, That's I'm not a huge respect. Mint color thing. All right. That was, that was shocking to me. That was a shocking development. I did not expect that. <laughs> we move on still. I like that I did my job. Teal pinstripes away jerseys from 1988 to 2002. So a long time. It's the classic. I mean, this is the original.
1: Everything about the look, the pinstripes, the purple outline of the numbers, the letters on the jersey to the Hugo the Hornet on the waistband steel. I mean, the original logo was deemed too close to the logo of the Montreal Canadiens. And so legal action was threatened, Hugo the Hornet was introduced, the rest is history. So uh, they talked about how the Hornets did not originally use the Hugo the Hornet logo. The stripes along the collar and the cuffs helped bring it all together, and the teal contrasting with the white that is throughout the look i mean again you're talking nostalgia you're talking mugsy kendall gill kelly trapuca whichever way you want to go with the classic legendary og hornet these uniforms are straight fire it's the classic what did you think it was gonna be
2: you got that one right that one was a good one come on last one the new hornets classic edition unis that they are paying homage to the early 2000s late 1990s charlotte hornets unis the double pinstripes yes fire fizzle west and keep in mind you can go buy these jerseys today at the hornets team store
1: that you can the jersey features the classic hornets font on the charlotte word mark on the chess player name on the back numbers on both sides and along with the multicolored double pinstripes in royal blue, light blue, purple, and green, the design also has a crossover V-neck, along with purple striped side panels on both the jerseys and the shorts. Shorts are highlighted by classic Hornets uniform or classic Hornets logo on the left thigh, and like all other uniforms for the Hornets, the jersey features. The Jordan brand on the right test when you talk about the new Hornets uniform. And so the teal silhouette featuring multicolored double pinstripes brings you back to 1997 through 2002. So come on now to finish this out. The Hornets and these new classic edition uniforms that you can get right now
2: are straight
1: fire. I need one. I need to send us some over here.
2: I want one bad. I want some, I don't know about jersey for me, but I do want some kind of shirt. Something like that. You You should get your custom. You have one more thing to do. What is that? Cut that music off! Thank you. Shroppy needs to be told what to do before we end the segment. Final one as well. Salesman. The good old salesman wrote in on the text line. The only way those NASCAT jerseys is fire is if you got a can of gasoline and a blowtorch and set them on fire. (laughs) Lots of people. NASCATs, no thank you. Check. That'll do it for fire or fizzle. We have one more hour to go on Weston Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.